Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, a podcast where two comedians talk like experts on subjects they are not experts on. Uh, I hope you're doing well if you are in lockdown in New South Wales or Victoria. If you are watching this on my YouTube channel, all my content will be moving to my main YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Neil K, and that will be happening on September 19th. So there will no longer be a podcast and serious YouTube channel and then a comedy YouTube channel. Everything will be moving to the YouTube channel with the most subscribers. So if you're not already subscribed to that one, make sure you subscribe to that one. Jordan, how are you doing? Good. I am good. And you sound good as well. That's a big move. Well, look, I am limited in what I'm able to do right now. So I thought let's try and become a full-time YouTuber. Let's see what we can do. I'm planning, well, there'll be Neil and Jordan, there'll be Sex Cells. Uh, I'm planning to do one comedy sketch a week, one uh, monologue. I've been really enjoying the kind of serious videos that I've been doing. And then I've started a new series called uh, Ethical Hypothetical, where I, uh, as psychologist and myself, we come up with random ethical scenarios and we uh, discuss those with um, some different guests and by the way if you have emailed me to be a part of that um, that show I had a, a lot of emails so I haven't been able to get to everyone but I uh, will try to get you all on the show at one point I'll, def- I'll have to get you on there Jordan well that's amazing that there was so much feedback feedback's not the right word people that are interested I'm just going to redo your sentence I'm happy about that. Yes. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? A lot of people want to discuss uh, very serious ethical issues. Yeah, well, what's the deal with that? I don't understand why everybody... I, I, get, we, I see that comment a lot of people saying, I wish I was on this podcast. Well, first off, you're not invited. But second, what's the deal with that? Why is everyone so happy to be on a podcast? But they're not happy to be on radio. They're not happy to be quoted in the newspaper. They're not happy to get on YouTube. YouTube always seems to be a big move. Maybe it's because, no, but you're seeing your face nonstop for an hour and a half to the point that I can't even watch our YouTube uh, podcast videos. It's too much of us. Get sick of us. Um, I don't mind I think the voice. Definitely, I think people are yearning for, uh, well, semi-intellectual or just sort of semi-serious content that doesn't have a uh, narrow cultural narrative, which uh, a lot of the content on mainstream media does. And I think we uh, we fill that void. Yeah, good on us. And people are, uh, there's not many of us out there, but we've, a- we've been able to cultivate that community online and people want to be a part of it, which is great to hear. Like John said, cool. you're not invited, but... <laughs> keep dreaming <laughs> yes maybe one day you'll learn to use riverside fm and talk to your friends <laughs> riverside yes, it's fm much, it's much so budget zoom. no yeah, it's the, not but it's actually the it's the better version of zoom for podcasts it it it, it um records and uploads the two tracks separately so it's uh perfect for people who are doing remote podcasts Oh, it's designed specifically for that, but I really don't understand the FM. Can you walk me through that? Can you? I don't Does understand know? that either. No, I don't. I don't understand where that comes from. Um, it's a pretty new uh, piece of software. By the way, we're talking about the platform uh, that we record these these remote podcasts on. Uh, it's called Riverside.fm, and it's a uh, remote video software tailored for people who are making podcasts because it records uh, every audio and video track separately. It'll even edit it together if, if you uh, choose that option. It's really, it's really great. Actually, I've been using it for a month now. Can't recommend it enough. And no, they're not, they're not paying me. I did email them, ask them for a sponsorship, but they haven't come back to me yet. <laughs> Can so you I'm give us money for right using now. your free? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was, you may as well ask. You know what I'm doing right now, Joe? I'm just like DMing random uh, medium-sized Australian companies being like, hey, do you want to do a, like an affiliate sponsorship? Like what I've got with the CBD oil? Uh, because I, the, first, I used to hate influencers who do that. Use my code and you get this much off. But it actually makes a lot of sense. 
because rather than having one lump sum, one big lump sum um, for doing a video or one shout out, you get this sort of consistent uh, partnership. And if it's a brand or a product you like, well, then it Why doesn't even feel like you're doing an ad. You're just you're just telling people to buy things that you like. Really so, like the brand, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've uh, I've uh, messaged a few. Uh, <laughs> messaged some uh, Australian protein powder companies. <laughs> I just I should have guessed. I, I was so curious them. about that, <laughs> but I shouldn't have been curious. I at can all. take the piss. I can take the piss, <laughs> but then also sort of justify uh, posting a few shameless uh, flex selfies, but uh, kind of take the piss as well. But You're going to do it before half, and after you know, if you're looking jacked. Oh, yeah. Eh, not really. There's no before where I'm not jacked. No. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, what about just getting some right ginger now. and then it's you afterwards? Reverse Alex Jones. It. Make it so unbelievable <laughs> in the other way. Reverse reverse Michael Jackson. You go from uh, You go from really pale to nice and tanned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're yeah. my before shot. Yeah. Look, I can do that, and I would be very happy to be in on that gag. And come on, if you're a pre- protein you're so- powder company, don't treat yourself seriously. It shouldn't be anything serious <laughs> about getting ripped. It's funny. It's not. It's not a. It's not a serious pursuit. You know who taught me that? Actually, yeah, I don't, I, I, I've never understood the people who are poster. After picks and look, they look very good, but then they have this diatribe of, of how inspirational their journey has been and how they've overcome <laughs> their demons. Demons, Dude, give it a rest. Like, you all right, you got abs, you don't have to give us an yeah. essay. Give you an essay. What did you really accomplish here? You did sit ups while listening to rap that you would have been listening to anyway, but you weren't doing the sit ups. So, is that is that the inspirational right, a lot transformation? Of and broccoli. Right, of course. Pretty you... much. Well, there's weird in the fitness industry. There's all this weird. Uh, there's people who say anyone who has uh, a six pack is is mentally ill and definitely on steroids, and that's just what? objectively wrong. I have friends who are very ripped, and when I say very ripped, around like ten percent body fat, which means you know pretty uh, observable abs. And they're oh, that's nice. Is it okay? I think <laughs> they wouldn't lie. They're they're, don't, they're not on steroids. They just are very disciplined. They eat um, your classic, you know, just a lot of chicken, a lot of broccoli, some rice, depending on whether they're cutting or, or bulking, and and they do that for a couple of months. I wouldn't call that a mental illness. I'd call that uh, trying to achieve human excellence. So <laughs> I uh, I don't really. Well, I mean, that, look, you could make the same argument for any athlete. Like, why do high jumpers try to jump fucking five meters? Surely you'd like after two meters Mental you'd be illness. like, oh, that's enough. But no, you want to you want to uh, achieve the peak of um, your human capabilities. I don't think that's a mental illness at all. I think that's uh, very noble, if anything. You know so, what's become amazing? Yeah, look, during there this are a podcast. lot of people who are on. Yeah, you've become what? very good at arguing. With every all three of those points, I was just like, <laughs> "That's stupid." Oh, actually, no, it's not stupid. It's the exact opposite of stupid. It's awesome. Jordan, it sounds like you do need uh, the more in your legal team, the better. So I'm happy to uh, defend you. <laughs> Represent. <laughs> yeah. And you do it as the character, I'm, I'm that property dick. real estate agent. Huh? <laughs> Charles D, the lawyer. Charles, Charles D, the lawyer. D, the lawyer. <laughs> God, imagine Everyone's him on your uh, legal team. Anti-defamation lawyer. <laughs> you, know, you know that Aussie courts... You'd- thing that I did ages ago. Yeah. There was uh, one that was based yeah. off a true story of somebody that wrote in saying that they were a lawyer in the local courts. And a guy stood up once and said, oh, no, I'm representing my client here, Zadiz. And they said, are you a lawyer? And he said, no, I'm his cousin, but like, you know, blood's thicker than water and that <laughs> shit. So I'm just, well, what's the point? Why is he representing you? What is he doing there? This is a th- these are Did things any- that happen in court. So it wouldn't even Did be he that. Have ridiculous. any legal expertise? No, nothing. No, it's just his a guy legal expertise was that he was his cousin. Isn't that well, bizarre? What, look, blood is um, 
blood's thicker than water and it's uh thicker than a law degree apparently so <laughs> you have free Good representation court. i cannot stress that enough if you are facing the courts you walk down the street no sorry not even down the street down the corridor and there will be a fully trained lawyer ready to represent you please pick that <laughs> you remember that Simpsons episode where they say, what is it? There's like two lawyers for every one non-lawyer. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. coming up to the car window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck, Not too far from the truth. Everyone has a law degree nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, but what from bloody like, Catholic um, University. have law degrees. Yeah, true. Yeah, true. But you know what that's about. <laughs> is it? What? The The arguing? The ability, because uh, when you're a stand-up, you're often uh, arguing a point. No, they're linked. I think that lawyers, much like a lot of comedians have a fascination with musicians, lawyers have a fascination with comedians because, as you just said, they're related, but <laughs> a lawyer is all the creativity stripped bare, whereas a comedian is all the creativity and none of the discipline. So I think that they think they can make that jump <laughs> and many of them can't, as you well know, Neil. Yeah, yeah. There's a, it there's happens. a lot of well, they're very conscient they're very conscientious. They're very they're they're very hardworking. Uh but just having a law degree doesn't automatically mean they're uh, brilliant comedians. No, they're usually they would be the least fun yes. Too they're not, serious. They're not damaged enough. No, you're right. There is a What's freedom of again? mind. Hmm? What what was your degree? Mine was international politics. Ooh. But it's the same thing. I Yeah, it's I don't really think that that helped, frankly. If I was going to do, if I, if I wanted to be a straight comedian, I think I would have just developed a drug addiction and lived a really careless, hapless life for about five or six years and then hopefully had enough brain power left to get myself out of that rut <laughs> and into some sort of habits that would perpetuate me into getting a career. But if you're able to do that, that's where the best comedians are made. And also because I think it frees up your mind. The fact that your brain's well, just you been in so many bizarre places. Take a lot of drugs. Do kids. drugs. You want to be a famous comedian? <laughs> do, do drugs. Um, I think this is a good point to segue into what I wanted to talk about. Uh, so we're recording this on the 30th of August. And yeah. a couple of hours ago, Jake Paul uh Got the split decision victory over Tyron. Tyron, not Tyrone. Tyron Woodley. Uh, and I just want to talk about the whole Jake Paul entering boxing phenomenon because there are ramifications for every other industry. Uh, Jake Paul, if, for those of you who don't know, is the brother of Logan Paul. Logan Paul started making uh, Vine videos. He um, achieved notoriety and fame then he moved into youtube started vlogging uh there was controversy with his suicide forest stunt look i i didn't think it was that bad i think it was a bit stupid but no that I mean, was logan wasn't it i think because he had that frog hat on yeah i know but i'm talking about logan here but then jake sort of just rode the uh, was riding the coattails of logan for a while but then uh he became his own you know his own uh, I think he married Tana like some other YouTube girl for a while. And he first Logan fought KSI, who's another boxer, and it was an exhibition fight. Mm. And they received a hell of a lot of money from the uh, pay-per-view sales. So the whole boxing establishment runs on money. It's entirely corrupt. And I think they caught on to that and saw that, wow, these YouTubers can actually make us a lot of money. And Jake, I think it was either last year or the year before, he um, he fought Nate Robinson, who's a former NBA player. And then at the end of that fight, he just, look, he was clearly talking shit, 
And he said, it's my dream to be a professional boxer. I want to fight Conor McGregor. And then I can't remember if that was when he said, I want to fight Canelo Alvarez, who's the the like pound for pound number one boxer in the world. And people just <laughs> hated him after that. But that was the whole point. He was, whether he's an evil genius or there's some sort of marketing team behind him, he's playing this game perfectly. After uh, Nate Robinson, he fought Ben Askren. So Ben Askren's a former UFC fighter, um, a former Olympic wrestler, if I'm if I'm correct. So a very well known combat martial artist, but was never a proficient striker. What uh, Jake Paul could offer all of these people is a massive payday. So it's in their best interest, especially UFC fighters who don't get paid a lot, especially compared to um, boxers. And so Ben Askren, who I think is recently retired from the UFC, thought, sure, I'll fight uh, Jake Paul. I think he got $1 million for it. And that was earlier this year. First round knockout, Ben Askren looked completely unfit didn't really know what he he just looked it was it was it was a it was terrible that was a horrible fight people were chanting usa usa at the end of it, it was just <laughs> and then and then the hand picked opponent was tyron woodley who's 39 so he's at the end of it, it, the last few he was a really um he's one of the best welterweights uh, for a while there, he he uh, he held the title and he was beating everyone. But over the course of the last couple of years, he lost a few fights. And, you know, he's nearly 40, so he's getting to the end of his career, not at his prime. Um, and he was never that – he was always – he was a better striker than Ben Askren, but he was never a boxer. And MMA is still – very different to boxing. I mean, this, this all really started when Conor McGregor fought Floyd Mayweather, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fight happened today. Jake Paul won. A lot of people in the comments are saying it's it's rigged. It's definitely rigged. There was a point, I can't remember if it was round three or round four, where um, Woodley actually had sort of knocked Jake onto the ropes uh, but didn't go in for the kill. And a lot of people are saying that's evidence that it must be rigged. Mm. Eh, it might be. I mean, look, everything in boxing, so many things in boxing are rigged. But the reason this phenomenon is occurring, the reason Jake Paul can climb this boxing hierarchy is because the boxing establishment is is corrupt. It's been corrupt for a long time. There's There's parallels to be drawn with Donald Trump, who is able to achieve the pinnacle of um, American political success because people were so disaffected with the American political establishment. Now, boxing for a very long time, it's it's just, you know, I've been a fan now for two, three years, so I don't know all the ins and outs of the sport, but, you know, the major heavyweights today, we were, we were supposed to see um, Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury, and they were going to unify the heavyweight, all the heavyweight titles. That's the other thing. There's all these different governing bodies. There's multiple titles. And then they were teasing everyone, and then that never happened because then Tyson Fury needs to do a trilogy fight with Deontay Wilder, uh, Errol Spence and Terence Crawford. Everyone wants to see them fight. It's not happening. This Aussie guy, George Cambosis, is support. He's the mandatory for the one of the lightweight um, titles, and they were supposed to fight in, I don't know what it was, June or something, but then this other guy got COVID. But, you know, was it COVID or was it just because they weren't selling enough tickets? It's just... It's a total farce. Like no one, it's just, you can see why people are going to uh, MMA because, you know, the champions are fighting very regularly. The best are always fighting each other. There's events uh, very often and there's not, yeah, there's some questionable judging decisions, but there's no question of like severe corruption, at least that I'm aware of, where um, someone who clearly lost is is granted the, the victory. So look, Boxing has itself to blame in many ways. I, don't, I wouldn't blame the, the boxers, the people trying to come up, and I could see why they'd be very angry at someone like Jay Paul. But what I'm getting at is that social media has allowed this new phenomenon to occur where people can uh, circumnavigate uh, established hierarchies and ladders to success their own way and – just achieve notoriety in whatever field that may be, um, primarily due to one, social media, 
but also a disaffected base um, and, you know, giving the people kind of what they want. Now, everyone hates Jake Paul, but what he does is he gives people a show. You know, there's so much emotion involved with um, watching his fights. Everyone wants to see him lose. Um, there's a lot of theater involved. It's a show. It's um, it's show business. And unfortunately, with a sport like professional boxing, it's not necessarily if you're the best boxer, it's how, much, uh, how many pay-per-views can you sell. Now, a lot of combat sports are like that, but um, that's the reality. And he has milked that perfectly, whether it's him or his marketing team. I don't know. But Log- and, and, you know, a few months ago, Logan Paul fought Floyd Mayweather, who was, some would say, one of the best, if not the best, boxer of all time. He had a, he had a perfect 50-0 um, to zero record, although a few of his victories, from what I've heard, are pretty questionable. Mm. Uh, but... You know, this is a YouTuber who's just not even, he's just in a completely different weight class, by the way, fighting one of the greats of the sport. Mm. So it's just degraded the entire, um, the entire establishment and the hierarchy because of these clown fights. But they're engaging. Everyone's talking about it. Um, and look, if Jake keeps training, he could legitimately, if they keep handpicking opponents, because now anyone would want to fight him because they'd get a massive payday. So if they keep handpicking opponents in three, four, five years, maybe he is fighting um, a professional cruiserweight. It's now not out of the question that he could be challenging for a world title if it's just like totally handpicked all the opponents. And you know what? Now I'm almost, I'm not, I can see why people are so pissed off at him in the boxing world, but like, I kind of like that it, I, because maybe it's because we're comedians who have kind of gone a different route. There's some sort of affinity I have with him, uh, where oh, I want to, him to win, and I don't know why, but it's 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 compelling. It's compelling to see someone just go their own way and just uh, tear apart all the norms and do their own thing. But, yeah, that's the, that's the backstory. And I, I just think it's very interesting, this phenomenon of people who are um, achieving crazy success uh, in fields that have had established hierarchies to that success, but they're now just circumnavigating that. Uh, this is very prevalent with comedy in Australia. Look at what we've done. We didn't go the normal route. I wonder if um, politics in Australia could ever see someone who, dare I say, the, the you know the Jake Paul of Australian politics, where someone just uh, threw a following on social media, because the American presidential system is different. Obviously, you have to be chosen by the party to become the prime minister. But Jordan, it's not unforeseeable in the next. 10 to 20 years where a social, someone with a large social media following could gain a Senate seat. That's, that's very plausible to me. Oh, Christ, yeah. The Senate seat's easy, especially if you want to go into state, you need 50,000 votes. Oh, no, actually, for Senate, I think you need 100,000. Still, so easy to get. Uh, there you go. It's, and the, 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 the atmosphere is just rife, especially now. Everyone is disaffected with Australian politics. So if, uh, you know, if there was someone who just appealed to the grievances of the population, and it may be a good thing. Maybe it, is, it, it would be a good thing to just have a sort of chaos merchant um, in, in the Senate. I don't know. But I just find this phenomenon very interesting where just uh, established hierarchies are crumbling and new faces are uh, just, uh, just circumnavigating whatever process there was previously to achieve and not just achieving a medium level of success, you know, the highest in America, the highest level of office with, with Trump. And I just think it's a, it's a, it's a very um, interesting phenomenon. Well, it's not that it's a new phenomenon. It's more that it's, it's more that it's on steroids now, like Anthony Mundine, for instance, Probably Australia's most famous boxer, from what I heard, was pretty dog shit. But 
because he was a footy player before that, he had some level of notoriety and he took the Jake Paul path of making himself a villain. And as my dad was always saying about boxing, you either need to be loved like uh, Oscar De La Hoya was or hated like Floyd Mayweather was. That's what gets bums on sex, yeah. as you were pointing out as well. Yeah. But you need to Attention. elicit emotion. Yes. Well, yeah, Anthony Mundine is, is, is a very interesting – he's – look, whether you – okay, he never played rugby league for Australia. I can't remember if he played for New South Wales. I think he missed out. He's one of the best rugby league players in the country, and he transitioned to a sport that's completely different and became world champion. That's unheard of. No one – yes, there's been converts from rugby league to rugby union – Carmichael Hunt did decently in the AFL, but if he didn't have that rugby league background, I don't think he would have made a AFL team. But for someone to go from a, a being a premier rugby league player to one of the world's best boxers, now, yes, he did sort of play that villain role. I, look, this is a bit before my time. I don't know the exact uh, sort of path he took, but um, I'm pretty sure he did win a world title. Correct me if I'm wrong in the comments. And that's unheard of. You know, he's, he's one of Australia's best athletes to have done that because, because they're just such different sports. I mean, they're both combat sports. I mean, sorry, they're both contact sports, but they're, they're, if anyone listening does either of those sports, they're completely different. Yeah, but the thing is that I think it was the same thing that you're talking about with Jake Paul. Wasn't it that he was given a bunch of easy fights because he was a money spinner? Again, I don't – probably, probably. I don't actually – well, let me – yeah, look, I don't I don't know for sure. Um, yeah, he probably didn't – It's not to take Paul it away from these people. Now. I'm sure they're very hardworking, but I just can't imagine that they're going to be a world champion – because they're an elite athlete in one other field. It's like when Michael Jordan moved from basketball to baseball and his performance was embarrassing. And it wasn't because he's an elite athlete. It's because the skills involved are so different that by the time, if you're doing that, even to your 30s, even if you can still do it physically, you just don't have all the distinctions in your brain that somebody who's been doing that sport specifically since they were 12 is going to have. And so I just can't believe that someone like Anthony Mundine would be the best in the world. As you said, it's all about drawing attention. It makes a lot of economic sense to say, this guy's unbeatable. He's the world champion. It's kind of that success breeds success. It's like the bigger your name is, because that's the real currency there. It's like mm. celebrity currency in Hollywood. After a while, when you're yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger, for instance, Sky's the limit in whatever you can charge for the rest of your life because you're Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's stars are hard to accumulate, but once they're there, they just they create their own orbit like a star does. That's my mm. theory. Uh, look, yeah, this is all looking. stuff that I hear, heard my dad say years ago. I could be completely wrong. No, I'm looking at. Um, I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like he won the w he was WBA super middleweight title holder. So, like that could be earned. Bum. I don't. Yeah, yeah, sure. He had like he probably had an easy path picked for him, but boxers would all professional boxers will generally choose opponents that you know their style is suited to, especially when they're coming up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm sure because of his name recognition, he was able to sort of traverse the, the, you know, I don't know. I don't think he had a, I don't know if he had an amateur career or whatever it was. I mean, Paul Gallen is another perfect example. Uh, this is a former rugby league player who um, just is, you know, recently fought Justice Hooney, who's the Australian heavyweight champion and is considered, you know, the best prospect this country's ever had in boxing. And he couldn't, and unfortunately couldn't actually, go to the Olympics because in the Paul Gallen fight, he injured his hand and he was a, one of the favorites to win the gold medal. And if you win a gold medal at the Olympics, you just become, you know, very well, well renowned on the boxing stage. So it's, it's quite unfortunate, but he's, he's quite young. So I think he'll try to um, still compete at the Paris Olympics. 
But yeah, but Paul Gallen, for example, is someone that, yeah, you either love or you hate. So when people people pay that to see him because, you know, they're not necessarily looking to see um, incredible boxing skill. Um, although, again, a lot of these, he knows how to box. He knows what he's doing. Uh, but they're just paying to see him. He's Paul Gallen. Mm, mm, um, mm. He beat... Lucas Brown in the first round, I think, or something like that. But Lucas Brown is a, I think he's a former uh, world champion as well. Australia's first heavyweight world champion, but he, um, he's a bit past his prime. And yeah, people, like you look at all the comments on all the um, boxing pages I follow and they hate these guys that have just you know, jumped into boxing because I, it, it makes sense. If you've trained your whole life and dedicated yourself to this, you know, to this particular craft um, and you see people getting ahead of you who were just, who were doing it part-time, if that, simply because they have the name recognition and a profile, I would hate them too. That would be very frustrating, but I guess that's the name of the game. Um it's all about how many pay-per-views you sell. It's not about whether you're the best box. I mean, usually, you know, in an ideal world, you they go hand in hand. And I think for the most part, even today, they still would, you know, if the best um, fought against the best, they'd probably still outsell Jake Paul or whatever. But uh, yeah, okay. Getting closer. Getting I think, closer. I think the Jake Paul, yeah, the J- it'd be interesting to see because – I'm pretty sure the Jake Paul Ben Askren fight was in like the top ten, although I've been bad with my uh, you know, top ten or top selling um statistics recently, but I'm pretty sure uh the uh Jake Paul and Ben Askren fight was in the top ten best selling boxing pay per views of all time. I'm not gonna die on that hill with this one. I don't know. Yeah, but if it's true, um God damn. Well, Let look, me, I, I think it's just uh, you're really you're really not competing in the same universe as a celebrity. There's very few things in life that will give you more advantage than people knowing who you are, and it's purely because people know who you are. As in, you're right. I could see. And this is the thing I know from, because my dad used to be into boxing a lot. He used to say, and he's right, because he used to show me matches between no-name boxers. If you're very good at Mm. boxing, it's a beautiful sport to watch. It's like ballet. You know, when they know when to duck and weave, when they got the right hook. It's dancing. It's dancing. It's dancing. It's really beautiful. It's elegant. It's uh, yeah. If you watch, say, like Lomachenko and like Inoue, they're, you know, I'm not very well versed in the in the art of it, but I do know quite a bit. Now I've been doing it for a few years, and and those guys are just, yeah, they're, they're, it's beautiful to watch. It's really, it's it's physical poetry. It's really amazing. Yeah. Having said that, though, as someone like me who is just a complete novice, doesn't have an interest in it. I'm never going to watch that fight. But I have watched Jake Paul highlights on YouTube. And that's someone who has zero interest in boxing, barely any interest at all in Jake Paul. Just the thought, oh, Jake Paul's having a fight? You tune in. Can you compete with that? There's no way that you can Mm. compete with that in terms of spinning money. It's like mm. it's it's just a, a hack in the brain, which is if you know someone and they're doing something, it's almost like someone saying to you that you know, hey, I'm doing this amateur theater thing. Do you think that you would ever go to amateur theater if you didn't know somebody in it? That's why the <laughs> entire audience is just people that they know. There's, there's, a, that's few what extinct- there's a few old weird people. Psychos, that, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're either a psychopath or you know someone there. Yeah. <laughs> it's not too far. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, the, it's like that. Really what's happening with our stand-up shows is a bunch of people who know who we are coming to see 
us in our little year four play. Those same dynamics are happening of, oh, they're doing something, are they? Oh, that's cute. Let's go see that. So it makes total uh, sense yeah. to me. It's okay, just yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, it, like yeah. everything else, it, it doesn't really matter. Like celebrity is just another example of this. The, the technology available to become a celebrity is now available to everybody else, just like starting a business. That mm. technology is available to everyone. The tools of education are available sure. to everyone. Can so I just, I just I wonder yeah, if, could, yeah, I was just going to say that because there's just certain industries where you can be as famous as you want. You're never going to climb the given hierarchy. So I don't know, engineering, you know, you can have as many followers as you want online. You can't just jump in and become the best engineer out there. I mean, unless you actually have some sort of expertise in that subject, that's not going to work. However, something like politics uh, is broad enough where that you know there's not a, a particular skill or craft that's required there's no prerequisite to becoming a politician um it helps if you know the game and you've you know you you've been in a whether it's labor liberal republican democrat in america if you've been in that system for a while although because people are so disaffected it might be better if you're actually an outsider now uh, it 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 may get to that point. I think you're almost at that point in America, uh, where there's so many people disaffected by just both parties. Although it's not really, people are just becoming more tribal in their support for each party. But there is a large group that's just disaffected by the system in general. Where just by virtue of not being part of the system, that actually works in your favor. Or if people hate the media so much, uh, which they they do well trust in media is record lows by virtue of actually being criticized by the media it actually helps you oh absolutely so that's it, a true it's, dynamic it's interesting isn't it i mean any sort of artistic field i think you're much more likely to um achieve success now with us with you know a celebrity following like i've i hear some of my friends who are into like poetry or even just visual art they say the biggest in 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 those respective fields are people who have uh, built their audience through Instagram, and they haven't climbed the whatever the you know previous ladder of prestige was, whether it was winning art prizes or the the Archibald I, I don't know whatever the Archibald is, <laughs> but I assume that it sounds something artistic. <laughs> but um, the, but people can just uh, circumnavigate that by. Um, amassing an audience online now there's good and bad to that if if an establishment and a hierarchy is corrupt well that's a good thing you can uh get sort of you know genuinely a good art out there and it also sort of democratizes the judging process because it's not some pretentious few art critics that are deciding who the next big artist is it's it's the people it's people on instagram at the same time, I'm sure there's certain norms and 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 you know wisdom that you learn in going through the um, the process. However, if that establishment becomes corrupt, then whatever wisdom you may be learning is is probably not a good thing. I'm sure you'd agree. Say something like with something with journalism, um, going through that establishment machine and and being churned out as a um, mainstream journalist is actually not a good thing you'd you'd almost be better off staying independent um so there's good and bad that's what i was that's all i wanted to say but yeah go on you were going to say something well i'll tell you what the main advantage of this age and we really are only 10 years into what is truly a society shattering revolution that's occurring and that is in every single field from sport to art to business. The original gatekeepers are really legacy. And now more or less, if you're buying into that, you're kind of the same as someone who's buying into a cult. You've just bought in to group think in that particular area. And that's all gone now. That is an incredible advantage. Uh, the economic implications of that are just starting to emerge now. But 
for instance, I think both Neil and I, maybe one of us on the off chance that a lot of things went our way, one of us might be a lot wealthier than we are now. The reality of this situation is probably both of us would be working in advertising if it wasn't for that technological change. And so that's all occurring with all of them. Thing is, when it comes to something like politics, it's one of those jobs where anyone can do it, but very, very few people can do it well. And that's where natural leadership comes in. And I understand that there is the argument that getting rid of the gatekeepers is a good thing for politics. Uh, that's true. Sure. When and, I, yeah, when yeah, I say on. do it, I'm, I'm not talking about being a proficient politician, but just at, you know, winning a seat or like Trump did, just winning a presidential election, getting to that point. But then after that, that's a different question. Completely different. I think that, well, that's the whole thing, right? Like Donald Trump was never being a statesman. That was not his job at all. He was marketing the whole time. Mm. And again, that's what Jake Paul's doing, really. He's not being a boxer. He's just being an incredible marketer for his brand. And he figured out... Everybody hates me. Some of the highest earning people on earth are hated boxers. There is a huge economic utility in that because there's something really primal in thinking, man, I hope that guy gets knocked the fuck out. I really want to see that guy's teeth getting punched in. And that was something about Anthony Mundine. I remember that, and I remember it as well. He was just so arrogant. that The reason that you were tuning in is to see him getting beat into a bloody pulp. And, in fact, right. the fact that he won every time made you think, oh, fuck you, I'm paying pay-per-view again. I, this time you're really going to get beaten. I think that same it's dynamic love-hate is relationship. Happening. Love-hate relationship. And I think that's what's happening. Do you know the best thing, Anthony yeah. Mundini? Uh, Anthony Mundini, won, it just recently he just said, um, because he's got a son that's coming up through the um, rugby league grades, and, then, <laughs> and a reporter asked him, Oh, do you think your son will ever, you know, reach the heights you did? And he goes, "Ah, oh, it'll only ever be one Anthony the Man Mundine." <laughs> oh, for Christ's sake! But he's good. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you well, talking your own son down. You haven't had enough glory, okay? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. But how old is this man? Isn't he like fifty-five <laughs> or something? Uh, he's in his forties. He's he's um he's getting on. He's uh he's one that you'd you'd thought you know he should be like a darling of the ABC because he's he's both Indigenous and Muslim. But he he says <laughs> he says things like oh women shouldn't be fighting and and there shouldn't be gay people on TV. So they hate him. But <laughs> Still, in terms of identity, he he fits everything they want. <laughs> what does he do now? Who interviews him and for what he only purpose? Just, well, his last fight was only, I think, a, just a year ago. Um, How is he still doing fights? Yeah, it's not like, no, the last few were not. Ugh, he, he got beat up pretty bad. Oh, shit. Yeah, he, he, yeah it, was, it was this year. Zarafa. Zarafa beat him. Um, See, Neil, oh. don't you think that there's something a lot more noble about getting to your Rocky six stages and losing every fight, but you just keep coming back for another swing. I think that that's the most romantic period of a boxer's life when they're way past their prime and they're just a punching bag and it's sad. <laughs> oh, man. Like now I like I Anthony Mundine. The fact that he's it. still fighting now, I think that's really noble. I think they want to retire on a high, but um, yeah. the more they push that out, the the harder it gets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I don't even know where your prime would be as a boxer. I'm imagining your early 30s. You sh- surely yeah, late 20s, you can't be 30s. good in your 40s. Okay, right. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look. I really think that that's the dynamic that's happening here. And it 
really depends what you want out of life. If you want to be a star, developing a skill can only get you so far. The real skill that you need to develop is marketing. And that's what the Paul brothers have figured out in beautiful form. They really are the Donald Trumps of the YouTube world. They've figured out something where uh, there seems to be a lot more emotion around them than there are most other YouTubers. And for instance, I'm not into the big YouTube drama world, but say that I watch someone like H3H3, I'm kind of bored. But I'm not bored watching Jake Paul and Logan Paul. There is a constant thought of what are they going to do next? They're just huge dopamine addicts, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, because they've, well, they've stepped outside of the YouTube world and they're now, well, you can't argue with that. Jake Paul is a legitimate boxer now. He is a professional boxer. And Logan, well, you could call him that too. I mean, he did fight Floyd Mayweather. I mean, because they've managed to sort of just step out of that bubble, I think uh, that's what's brought so much attention to them. And they've been relatively successful at it. Well, no, Logan hasn't hasn't won a single fight, I don't think. But um, uh, Jake is <laughs> what now What do you think that is? Why hasn't he won? Well, actually, you know what? I remember hearing this. Jake Paul was saying that out of the two, he was always the more disciplined. And Logan Paul was the creative one that was always doing these zany ideas and then getting bored of them very quickly. Now, when that translates to actual boxing, he's got one of the greatest marketers of all time that he can mooch off of. And then when it comes to the actual grizzle of who's going to sit there and grind it out, as the YouTubers would say, it's going to be Jake Paul. Whereas Logan was kind of just into the idea of, yeah, yeah, I'm just fighting someone. How awesome is this? Oh, this is boring. I hate training. Fuck it. Oh, I got beaten up. Oh, well, I still got the same amount of money. Anyway, on to the next thing. Oh, we're skydiving today. He's got that kind mm. of a brain. But, you know, again, I, I really don't think that that's, I don't think that that actually matters. I think I, I could be wrong, right? But surely just as many people tune in or it'd be very similar to both brothers fighting. It doesn't really matter that Jake Paul's more skilled, yeah? No, they're both skilled enough that, uh, you know, they know what they're doing, but mm. I'm sure an actual boxer would look at them and find the technical deficiencies there. Okay. Um, but... Uh, they, they they know what they're doing. They don't look incompetent. Fair mm. enough. Fair enough. Look, yeah. as you said, it is actually think- a really interesting phenomenon. It's cool, but I think it's just that celebrity has been both a more powerful tool, and at the same time, demystified. Do you remember that, Neil? Do you remember looking up at comedians from the generation before us and they were on the Melbourne Comedy Festival scene and you'd think, wow, they're demigods. And there was mystique behind them because even if they were on radio, I suppose it was still hidden And it wasn't as immediate and instant as, say, something like this, where you really can see people's personalities now. And so now I think, and this is something else that I've noticed as well. Everybody kept saying that Gen Y was obsessed with celebrity. I don't see the same thing with Gen Z. And I think it's because celebrity currency has been diluted. Now everyone's a celebrity. It doesn't really matter as much anymore. Um, It's not as respectable. But at the same time, celebrity still has a currency and you can move it over to anything because now everyone's sort of a human being. Back in the day, you sort of just marketed yourself as I'm a comedian or I'm a boxer. And now you you still do do that, but people see all different shades of you. 
So you're not really anything mm. anymore. You're kind of just a person that people know. Yeah, you're, it's, it's you're made celebrity purer and like less mysterious. That's what's happened. Absolutely, the mystique and the allure of the uh, celebrity world has certainly dissipated. I, I, I mean, that was half the reason those talk shows were so famous because you heard very engaging anecdotes of um, A-list actors talking about the time they met other A-list actors. And now you hear them do those same anecdotes and you think, this is just weird. I don't want to hear about the time Zac Efron first met Kevin Hart. Shut up. <laughs> you know, I don't that, give a Dude, fuck. that sucks. <laughs> that story's so lame. Oh, you're so right. Yeah, it is really... Damn, yeah, there's no need for them anymore. Yeah, they're gone. They're, Everything's they're, moved they're on. Um, everyone's a celebrity now in, in, a, in some way, shape, or form because you are broadcasting portions of your life to the world unless you're completely off social media, which is now an emerging trend. There's a word for it. I forget what it's called, but um, apparently women are, you know, really into men who don't have a social media account because then they're less likely to be fuckboys, and it's like, no, no. And once you've told us that, now the fuckboys are going to do that. (laughs) They catch up. (laughs) There's like a fuckboy female arms race. (laughs) As soon as females are like, when he's he's not a fuckboy if he does does X, Y, Z, then fuckboys are going to start doing X, Y, Z, you know? (laughs) Red queen theory Um, in action. (laughs) I think uh, we're going to end this uh, this podcast with with a great question. And this one comes from uh, Cameron. And this is a question that Jordan's definitely much more equipped to answer. Uh, Hey, Neil and Jordan, it's great to see how successful your podcast has become. I listen every week for interesting insights into comedy, self-help, politics, and culture, as well as some good old-fashioned miscellaneous banter. Kudos to you both. I think Jordan is better equipped to answer my question, but I'd love to hear Neil's thoughts as well. Jordan mentioned something on the Friendly Jordan's podcast excuse me, on the Friendly Geordies podcast recently about how he expects that the day of reckoning is coming for state and federal coalition governments within the next few election cycles, and we might see the unions take over, like with the election of FDR in the US in the 1930s. It made me more optimistic about the future of the country, but I couldn't help but think that the Liberals and Nationals will inevitably return to power sometime after that, just as the Republicans returned to power in the 50s and unions in America started losing relevance. It reminded me of a saying that I think I've heard Jordan mention on this pod that goes something like, hard times create strong men. I love this saying. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times. With all this in mind, could you please discuss in greater detail what you think the next few decades of Australian politics might look like? And do you think Western democracies are doomed to repeat this cycle? Warm regards, Cameron. Go for it, Jordan. Yep, I think they are destined to repeat that cycle. I think that the same metrics will always be exploited uh, using different technology, and that's what's scary, and that's what makes me really anxious about the future of humanity because we are getting to the stage where we are becoming masters of our universe and we have things like nuclear power now and so many really dangerous opportunities to just press the button and that's the end of everything. Um, those problems are intensifying. They aren't becoming less rapid. Like it's not dissipating with technology. Technology is making that more likely. That's what scares the shit out of me. And so I think that back in the day, yes, oligarchies would last longer before there was any respite, if any. And technology has made the gap between that cycle that we're talking about there, which is exactly right. Uh, You know, the hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times. Really, what he's talking about with that cycle is the four-generation cycle that talks about society, that talks about the decline and fall of empires and it talks about the period that oligarchies go in all of those things are linked but i think that because back in the day there was only so much damage to the environment 
and you know, own, kill bots and things like that didn't exist. There was only so much damage you can do, but now damage is just magnified. And look, I'm saying that I think that we are getting closer to the end of that cycle. And it again is because of technology, but that doesn't mean that we will go back into that cycle. I think that when times get too good, there will inevitably become a class of people that just come up over the top of that and start exploiting all of those avenues and institutions. Like, Neil, you know what was a really interesting point that I've heard a lot of boomers say, and I was talking about it on the other podcast, and we were just kind of talking about it anecdotally. Have you heard a lot of boomers say that they really liked the 70s? Yeah, that's their general mentality. Uh, they liked the 70s and the 80s. Um, what do you think the unions would... What is the role of the unions in a prospective gig economy where there are a few large corporations and everyone else is a, uh, a small-time worker but may work for multiple corporations? Um, and also... Just with the say the structure of Australia in particular, in comparison to America, where people now this is just anecdotal, but uh, I know people whose whose parents or even grandparents worked very menial working class factory jobs in the sixties, seventies, and eighties. They now have properties worth, you know, one to two million dollars. Um, are they still likely to? to to sort of you know fervently support the party of the unions if that's the case if they now have that wealth portfolio uh but also just go on about what you were talking about with the um boomers as well i just wanted to add those two points no there's usually a direct link between the more wealth you have the less people no actually it it's that's not the link anymore. I was just thinking about that with blue collar, but you know what's actually increased a lot in union membership is educated. That's the difference. Blue collar workers, traditionally, the less educated workers were the ones that would join unions. Now it's white collar workers. And we're just talking about even things like mm. finance. It's one of the fastest growing unions there is. And it's because they understand the power of collectivizing. They do understand that power. Um, they figured it out. I mean, look, even when it comes to minor things like tiny institutions, I've made this point numerous times on my channel. It's not like the liberals are anti-unions. It's just they're anti-you having a union. They're really pro the business council. What is the business council? It's a bunch of massive corporations coming together and saying, this is what we want. They're pro the mining lobby. What's that? A bunch of mining companies coming together and saying, this is what we want. So it's not like they're anti-unions. It's not like unions don't get results. I think that when it comes to you and whether or not you're getting, uh, your, your, you know, if, if unions work for you or not, they absolutely do work for you. It's just you need to find a union that does. The people, for instance, that really doesn't work for are people like Neil and myself that there's nothing that they could do to help us because we are sort of Uber drivers for YouTube. Completely atomized, <laughs> completely. God. But even then, even then, it, when it comes to people like Uber drivers, I, someone was making this point before that unions just haven't figured this out, that you can f basically unionize people a lot easier and a lot more effectively now than you could back in the day because there's an app for that. You can just get all the Uber drivers together and say that you said to even enough of them, even if you got enough of them, say you got 40% to say, yeah, we're just not going to be driving for the next couple of days until you give us a better cut of the deal. They will do it. That is a huge hindrance to their profits. And they'll think, fuck, fuck, okay, let's go to the negotiation table. But that is essentially what unions have always done. So again, it's a change in technology when you're talking about uh, the gig economy. It's that 
It's easier for them to exploit you, but it's also easier for you to collectivize. There's nothing dirty about that word. It is just a way of balancing out power structures. It's the only way that has ever effectively worked all throughout history. You shouldn't abandon it. And the whole thing is the unions, they wither and they wane and wade throughout history. They come in in huge droves and then they get crushed and the whole process kickstarts again in a different way. But that is I, all. Would sorry, you say that, I was just, would you say that if uh, times aren't tough for the, um, for the working class? And when I say tough, you know, if, even if wealth disparity is increasing, but if everyone can afford their own home and have enough to support their family, as well as, a little bit of extra on the side, not, you know, not living a lifestyle too ostentatious or anything like that, but then they're less likely to, well, they may still unionize, but they're not, you know, there isn't that zeal to the, uh, to the process because, well, my life's great. So I don't feel the need to do that. Hmm. And that's really what happened. Uh, there was a couple of things that really destroyed, not destroyed the union, but caused membership to decline rapidly. Uh, look, I see both sides of the argument when it comes to Paul Keating. People say, if you look at it, there's a direct graph between his reforms and union membership declining rapidly. But as he's always arguing, it's because the unions are slow-moving dinosaurs. They need to be able to keep up with the economy and that's what happened under Paul Keating is he changed the economy so much. We didn't have as many of those blue collar jobs that had been traditionally unionized. There's a lag time between new industries being created and union membership increasing. So there was that. That was definitely a big nail in the coffin. The other thing that you see is that, yeah, there was that dwindle. And then Howard put in all of these laws that made unionizing a lot harder which is what the Liberals always do, what the Republicans always do. They're just there to smash unions. In fact, that's what happened in the US, which is a great example of oligarchies gaining power. In uh, in the US, between after the FDR days, there was kind of an agreement between the Republicans and the Democrats that this is the general lay of the land of how society should be structured. It was known as the New Deal back then. And part of the New Deal was that both Republicans and Democrats generally agreed with the direction of there should be a social safety net, we should be reinvesting back into the country, taxation should be high on the rich. All of those basic building blocks were there. That more or less continued until Reagan. And what happened with Reagan was there was a huge push to get him elected from the business oligarchs of the time that were gaining more power through slow eating away at the edges over time, which is what inevitably happens to this. But there was a real push with him. Here's what we want you to do. We want you to destroy the unions. And what happened when they destroyed the unions? After that, the Democrats lost all of their power base. And then what happened, and this is something that I always hear people in the Labor Party arguing here, oh, we need to move away from the unions because the unions, uh, they, they you know, control caucus and they get to instill all of these no-talent bums and put them in the Labor Party and they just sit there and they're just a hand for the unions. And, yeah, I get all of that argument, but <sighs> the alternative is so much worse, which is what happened to the Democrats. Uh, as soon as he came in, Reagan started smashing the unions, really started putting all of these tough restrictions on becoming into a union, made them powerless, made them toothless, kind of an on steroids version of what Howard did to unions here. But the same thing, you can see that sharp decline in union membership. You just didn't have the funds for the Democrats to be funded because before that, the Democratic Party was really just funded by workers. And then after that, what happened is... The Democrats realized, fuck, we're never going to get elected now. We've got no money at all after the Reagan years. How are we going to get back in the game? And then Clinton came along. And this is when everybody always talks about the Clinton era of Democrats and those like corporate Democrats. They came along and they said, okay, we're going to take money from companies, but we're going to take it from ethical companies. So we're not going to be taking it from fossil fuel companies. We're going to be taking it from banks and investment firms and financiers. 
but it's a different type of evil. And so now you have a system in the US where there is the Republicans that pretty much just represent the fossil fuel industry and you have the Democrats that represent the banks and that's governing now. So that's what happens when you start dwindling the power of unions, which is why I'm always saying it doesn't matter if you are or aren't affected by unions. Like, dude, I am at the stage in my life where unions could do nothing but fuck me over. I'm an employer. All they could do is just say, you know, you, you haven't got this particular health plan or I don't know, whatever, right? All they could be is a pain in the neck for me. But I understand the wider implications of not joining a union, which is why I've joined a union that isn't even in my profession. Just I like the idea of cleaners having some kind of representation when they're versing fucking Marriott Hotel. So I give money to them. And the reason that I'm giving money to them is because you are funding people that represent the lowest sectors of society. And by doing that, you're balancing out society. And by doing that, you are stopping oligarchic control because there is a lot of brainwashing that happens in our society. And it is because they control all the means of communication of saying that, you know, all you have to do is just free up the market, just allow businesses to prosper. But this is all things that benefit them. This is why they want you to have that idea. But again, when it comes to it, when you actually look at the policies of these free market parties, like the Republicans and the Democrats, oh no, they're very pro-union when it comes to huge corporations having unions. They'll do exactly what those people want and they will skew the economy to help them. So I think that if there is any way out of this, there's just basic education tools that need to be met, which is that everybody needs to really understand the basics, which is that, you know, you can criticize Karl Marx for a lot of things, but damn, he criticized capitalism well. He really did. He really did just boil it down to there has always been a ruling class and everybody else is against them and their whole job is to keep them down you'd be hard pressed to find an example of that not being true anyway those are my thoughts on it all right no that's uh, that's really good um yeah i feel like if we, we we could discuss that a bit a bit longer but um i think that's a good time to wrap this one up uh thank you for your question cameron um, make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. Like I said, subscribe to my main channel, uh, youtube.com slash Neil K. If you, if you haven't already, the podcasts are all going to be there. All my content's going to be on there. If you'd like to uh, ask a question, go to neilkohacker.com slash podcasts and all the money from the subscriptions will go straight to charity. Thank you, Jordan. If you haven't seen his, his recent video, um, all about the, uh, fixated, Persons Investigations Unit that arrested his producer. Make sure you watch that one. It's very eye-opening. See you next time, guys. See you, gang.